referred to as the Via Dolorosa, carrying that cross, being smitten, marred, even beyond recognition, Lord. But you did it for us. And he did it for us. And when he got to that cross, Father, one of the most memorable words of all to us as believers in Christ, he says, it is finished. And we thank the Lord for that. We thank you for that. But most of all, we thank you that the tomb could not contain him. And he's risen. And on this day, we celebrate that resurrection. Father, we thank you for for Jesus Christ. He provides grace for us day in and day out. Grace that is sufficient. Grace that is full of love to each one of us. And remember this morning, Father, not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but also our brothers and sisters that are with us. That are going through times, Father, troubled times, tribulations, but we know you're with them. We know, Father, that your love is never short. And today is proof of it. Thank you so much for this time we have. Pray, Father, that we just enjoy the, not only the time of singing, but also the word that is coming before, Father. Bless this time together as we share one with another in the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your spirit that is among us even this morning. We pray this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, church. Would you stand with us for time of worship? i yes. 
alive, I'm free Cause you set me free I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus I am yours Cause you said it so I am loved And you won't let go I'm alive, I'm alive in you, Jesus Oh Spirit, come Set our hearts with holy fire This hope we have, our God's not dead He is alive He is Jesus Nothing to know who can stop Him There's nothing as strong as our God is Our God is alive
to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. He is risen. Let's do that again. He is risen. I don't get tired of that. I like to hear you all say it as much as I like to say it. Wonderful celebration. Thank you, worship team, uh, this morning, and welcome to El Paso Bible Church. I'm, gonna, I'm hoping I'm not going to get corrected here, but I think we have Adventurers Children's Church this morning. Is that right? So that's second grade and under. So children, if you are second grade or under, we got children's church for you. Is anybody going to go? You don't have to go. No? You don't have to go. I'm just checking. Oh, there they go. All right. It's that time. So as Ernie pointed out, this is also Communion Sunday. And uh, in some of the churches that I've served over the years, they're a little more liturgical, and they wouldn't do that on, on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, because they say it's not right. We're now commemorating his death, but I want you to remember in 1 Corinthians 11, the very last phrase that we read in our communion time, and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And nothing is more appropriate today than to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, so that's what we're going to end our service with today knowing that the resurrection that we're celebrating is not simply a guarantee that we live forever, but that He is coming for us. And we will meet Him in the air, and Paul tells us from that moment forward we will be with Him forever. Tremendous truth. Um, You'll notice this morning, if you've been here for the rest of this series, however, that Pastor Josh is non-standard. And that is that I'm not necessarily going to teach you the same message that you would be expecting here today. Uh, It is a resurrection message. I guarantee you that. Can you trust me on that one? That it is a resurrection message uh, in the sense that, well, it's very particularly a resurrection message, but I want you to understand that this passage teaches us primarily that resurrection is not simply a, a teaching of 1 Corinthians 15. It's not simply the teaching of 1 Thessalonians. It's not simply the teaching of the gospel record, but it is the teaching of Scripture. That it is the message virtually of the entire Bible, and that is what Peter is teaching his readers, choice aliens. And that's who his readers were. That's who we are. Uh, Remember that his readers were aliens twice. They were dispersed into a country that was not their own, and they were living in a world that is not their home. They were choice because of that, because of the place that they played in the plan of God that he had particularly laid out for them. They were precious, and you are precious, and I'm precious. I don't want to exclude myself. Did I accidentally do that? I'm precious. Believe it or not, even Jesus considers non-standard Pastor Josh precious and choice because of the place that he has put us in, in El Paso, Texas, and even you people in Santa Teresa and La Union and wherever else you are, even in New Mexico, believe it or not, you guys are choice also 
because of the plan that you, a part in the plan that you played in God's plan, right? Because of the resurrection of the dead, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, a living hope that each of us possess, a hope that we are not living in vain, Paul tells us elsewhere, a hope for life, knowing that the things that we do and the choices that we make and the actions that we take are not empty, they're not vain, and it's because of the guarantee of His resurrection, the the hope that we have that in the resurrection we receive an inheritance, an undefiled inheritance, an uncorrupted inheritance, an imperishable inheritance that is already ready, He tells us. It's reserved in heaven for us. Now, some folks uh, were running a little late this morning because their meal preparation was not quite ready, right? No? Don't lie to me. I'm your pastor. I know that y'all were trying to get your meal prep done before you got to church, whatever. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't suffer like that? He doesn't have a time management problem. He's got everything in the crock pot already, right? He's ready. He has the inheritance waiting for us, reserved for us. It's a hope that we have. It's a hope for the future. And and Peter tells us that that hope persists and is perfect even though now we are distressed by various trials, by various experiences, by negative things that we have Those things, he says, give you an opportunity through the testing of your faith to receive something at the revelation of Jesus Christ when we see him, right? Not when you read Revelation, but what John tells us that when we see him as he truly is, we will be like him. When we see him in his glory, we will be glorious. And it is that time when we stand before him that Peter says the testing of your faith provides for praise honor and glory in your life. The testing of your faith does that. He says that's a cause for great rejoicing. That in the end, our salvation provides us this opportunity in the glorification process of the believer, in the end, in the end game, when you are ready to receive the glorious inheritance that is reserved when your glory equals the glory of your inheritance and you can actually grasp it, possess it, and take it into eternity. The final salvation, the glorification of the believer. Remember, though, that the distinction that we made, it's the testing of our faith that provides praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it is our faith that guarantees our glorification. It is our faith alone by itself that is the instrument that provides for us to be like Christ when we see Him as He truly is. It is the free gift. And the outcome of it is our glory like Christ. Those two things are kept separate. Not separate exactly, but distinct. Distinct realities in the life of a believer. That because we are a choice, 
we are given the opportunity to have our faith tested and to stand before Jesus and to receive praise, honor, and glory. The living hope was given to us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who died, who was resurrected, who was raised from the dead, he was exalted to the right hand of the Father, Scripture tells us. And there were witnesses, people who observed it as we would say with their own eyeballs, right? They watched it. It was not a matter of faith. They observed it. But that's still the topic, right? The living hope that we have, the salvation, the glorification that we receive. Each one of us who has simply believed in Jesus Christ by his own statements, right? Jesus said, the one who believes in me has eternal life. It is the guarantee that we will be like him when we see him as he truly is. And it was guaranteed by his own resurrection from the dead. The topic continues here in verse 10 of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. I told you this was a resurrection message, and I wasn't lying to you. When you read those words, glories to follow, that is what follows the suffering. That is the pattern that Christ said, that he would come in the flesh, that he would suffer in the flesh, and that resurrection glory would follow him, follow those things. And I told you that that's the message of the whole Bible. It is not an insertion a fabrication of the New Testament writers. The understanding of, of who the Messiah would be, what he must suffer, and what he must, and the glory he must receive is the message of Scripture. And Peter tells us that. He says, the prophets who prophesied of the grace to come to you knew something. They knew a lot. They knew that the Messiah had to come. They knew that he had to suffer and that he would receive glory afterwards. And it was not just one prophet that prophesied about this glory that is our future. It was all of them. The entire catalog of Old Testament prophets is what Peter is referring to here. Peter is reminding these choice, precious aliens living in a land that is not their own, in a world that is not their home, of the reality of what God has been doing throughout human history to bring this grace in Jesus Christ. A lot of people lately, every time there's geopolitical rumblings, right? Every time we are on the edge of nuclear warfare, which has happened multiple times in my lifetime alone, some people here have had a longer lifetime than me. I don't want to ask them how many times it's happened in their lifetime. Humans are always on the brink of warfare because humans are barbarians apart from Jesus Christ, folks. And some Christians try to persist as barbarians, but we won't go there today. He's telling them 
you know, the church, when they're in that context, becomes very fixated on prophecy, right? I don't think that a week goes by when I'm not sent an article that tells me about somebody that's trying to identify the Antichrist. You, what do you think he looks like? What language does he speak? Is he really tall? Does he have blonde hair and blue eyes? Does he carry a gun in the pulpit? <laughs> Every president in my lifetime has been called the Antichrist by somebody that I was associated closely with, not to mention, I mean, you get out in the international geopolitical realm. Here's the problem with that, is that it distracts you from the truth of what Peter is telling you. And the truth of what Peter is telling you is that you and me, choice aliens, we are a fulfillment of prophecy. Don't be distracted from that. The saints that preceded us, the prophets who preceded us, are looking down from heaven, from glory, looking at what is happening in the church and going, oh my goodness, that is amazing. That is an incredible grace. We knew it was coming, but we had no idea how amazing it would be. We are a fulfillment of prophecy. A shared prophecy, what Peter says it was among all the prophets that prophesied, the grace that we have received, the gifts, the benefits, the opportunities that we have because we are these choice aliens as children of God living in this world that is not our home. The resurrection hope that we have. And every single one of them knew that grace was to come. They knew that. What they didn't know was who it was and what time it would be. That's what they didn't know. They didn't know who it was and what time it would be. That's the advantage that you have, right? You knew what time it was and who it was, who it is, don't you? Several of my friends they're friends. We can disagree with friends, right? Can't we? I hope so, right? Because I'm your friend, right? We can disagree on some things, but they disagree about exactly what the day was. Some say 1,990 years. Some say about 2,000 years. Some say, I'm in the about 2,000 years ago camp. But we know that it was him. We know when he came. We know how the grace came. But they wanted to know. They wanted to know who it was and what time it was. The effort that most Christians today expend trying to identify the Antichrist, they expended trying to identify the Christ. So stop it. <laughs> stop. We did cover that, actually, in one series, right? The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. It's pervasive. It has osmos through every government in the world. But the, the Antichrist has not been revealed. So John says. So you can understand that without making, you know, being anxious about it, right? It's not your job. They want to know who the Christ would be and when he would come. We have a choice advantage over them. They recognized 
that the Holy Spirit was communicating to them that the Messiah would suffer and that resurrection glory would follow. That's the pattern, right? It's the pattern for us. We are distressed now. We have glory to come because Christ was distressed. He suffered. He was crushed as Ernie read our Good Friday service. He was crushed for our iniquities to the point of death. And resurrection glory was to follow. Don't make the mistake. Morticians, you know, take pride in their work, I'm sure. But when Scripture says that Jesus Christ was going to receive glory to follow, it didn't mean that they were going to make him look really nice in the casket. He was not to be a glorious corpse. He was to be a glorious living Redeemer and Savior. It's resurrection glory. They knew that. They knew that. They knew that back from Genesis 3 when Eve was told that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. A seed, one. They wanted to know when it was and who it was. It's pretty important to recognize that the resurrection hope, the living hope, is the message of Scripture. Because we didn't invent it. Paul did not invent it. Peter did not invent it. John did not invent it. It did not just come about 2,000 years ago. It is the message of the entire Scripture. I say that because it's fashionable these days. You may not realize it because the guy who's speaking to you buys his clothes at Tractor Supply. You're like, how does he know what's fashionable? Well, I'm not talking about that. I don't even care about that. Life gets easy when you don't care about that sort of thing. But I do know what's fashionable about what people are saying about Jesus. I know what's fashionable about what people are saying about Scripture. And it is fashionable right now to look at the Old Testament and tell people with a straight face... Scholars and then pastors, that's the way it always goes. The scholars push the limit and the pastors fall over the edge. And they tell you that the resurrection is not in the Old Testament. In fact, they will go so far as to tell you with a straight face that you can hope in Jesus Christ, but those prophets had no idea what they were prophesying, that the messianic prophecies are like down to three and a half. They're not sure about the fourth one. That's cheap chicken baloney doctrine, guys. Isn't that nice how I say it that way? I could say all sorts of other things, but cheap chicken baloney, that's what I come up with. It is the message of the entire Bible. And Peter says that. He teaches that under the inspiration of the very same Holy Spirit that revealed it to the prophets throughout Scripture. How anybody can tell you with a straight face that the Old Testament prophets didn't prophesy about the Messiah, I don't, I don't know. They will tell you that they could not have known the import of what they said. That's weird. That's even a weird thought, isn't it? Peter says the Holy Spirit told them. They did. They all knew. They all hoped. They all searched. 
a particular search. You know, and people are writing certain papers in Bible college or whatever, and they're told, you can pick any passage, right? They close their eyes and they go, you know where they end up always, right? Right in the middle of Leviticus or something when they do that. You got to be more strategic about that, right? Undergrad Bible college students don't want to write on Leviticus. That's how you get heresy. The prophets didn't do that. They had a strategic understanding. The Holy Spirit revealed to them what they were seeing, what they were proclaiming, what they were teaching. And they specifically hoped in the reality of the grace that was to come, the grace that you and I have received and also hope in for our future. They knew that. They knew that. They knew something else. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, plural. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit told them this. The Holy Spirit is telling you this today from the Bible, not because it's coming out of my mouth, by the way. The Bible teaches this. The Holy Spirit's message, as long as he's been giving it, has been about this grace to come. Things into which angels long to look. Yeah, you know how sometimes I almost fall off the stairs? Happens sometimes. Lose track of where my big feet are. And I got these leather soles on there, slippery. That's how close the angels are to the edge as they're peering over looking to understand the grace that has come. And they understood even that there were things the prophets were teaching that were not for themselves. It's not for themselves. Everything's not about anyone in the Bible, right? It's about what God is doing. I don't know if they were disheartened by that. I don't think so. But it would be difficult, right, to show a clear representation of the grace that is guaranteed in the Messiah, that is guaranteeing glory in the ultimate end in the latter days and the eschaton, and know that you weren't going to see it in your day. But they ministered faithfully still. There they were communicated to by the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit has come down from heaven. He's indwelt each of us who have believed in Jesus Christ. But it's a continuation of the same ministry that revealed these things all the way back in Scripture. A choice ministry. It pervades the New Testament. It pervades the Old Testament. One of the first sermons in Acts is the declaration that there is salvation in no one else, no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. You know how he proves that? 
He gives them the whole record of the Old Testament in one sermon. I thought I was doing well the other day. I taught the entire book of Leviticus in three hours to my seminary students. Felt like my feet were on fire when I got done. Super fast. One sermon, whole Old Testament. To tell them all about the Messiah happens over and over and over again. The Bible they're using is what you call your Old Testament. That's how they're doing it. They're teaching them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from all the messages that the prophets wrote. So Peter says that. Peter says the prophets knew what they were talking about. Does Scripture indicate that? Should you believe Peter? Y'all just got a scared look on your face. Yeah, you should believe Peter. You should. You should believe Peter. Peter is accurate. But it's an important question, right? Because if, if this is God's Word and that's God's Word, then it, ha- it has to conform, right? If it's all legitimate, if it's all inspired, if it's all inerrant. We can't look at every prophet because despite y'all not being quite ready with your meal prep, it's going to be ready sometime today, right? We don't have till tomorrow at lunchtime to look at every prophet? No? I mean, just tell me. We can look at some. Are all those scholars and pastors wrong? People get really legitimately whacked out when I tell them that. 85% of the scholars and pastors disagree with you on this, Josh. So? Even Mark Twain observed that when you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Yeah? Catch my drift there. They... People, I didn't really realize this was still a thing, but did you know people still collect sneakers? I thought that died out in the last century, but apparently I was was reading an article today that people are still collecting sneakers. Grown men are collecting sneakers. I'm not on that bandwagon. Is that okay with you? I'm not on any bandwagon that I don't think makes any sense. Juan, do you collect sneakers? Don't point fingers now, Juan. All right, now. I mean, it's cool, but I just want you to know that I'm not with you there, and you need to be okay with that, and you need to be okay with me not being there. I have a fair number of boots, but, you know, I think that's what Jesus would do if he were alive today. (laughs) Right? Amen? All right. I don't collect them. They just collect, right? I just don't throw them out when they start looking like hobo shoes, you know? But are they wrong? Yeah, I think they are wrong. And I don't mind telling you that I disagree with eight and a half out of ten Bible scholars or something like that, whatever it ends up being. I haven't done the math, and I don't really care about it. But did they know that a Messiah was coming? Yes, Peter says yes, they did. I think we can say that. Now, we can't, we, we're not going to look up every reference, but you can simply get your concordance out, which all of you have, by the way, on your phone. You can go to the Blue Letter Bible. You don't even have to buy a big, huge doorstop of a hardback book anymore. And it will even look it up for you. You can look up the word seed in Scripture. And the first reference to seed, essentially, in this sense, is in Genesis 3, the seed who will crush seed 
the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman. You'll find from Genesis 3 onward throughout the Bible, there's an expectation of the seed who would come. The seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent in Genesis 3. The seed of Abraham who would be a blessing to all of the nations through his rulership and dominion and procreation of a people, Genesis 22. The seed of David. And now it gets kind of rapid fire. We're going to read some of these. Psalm 89, 4, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Now remember, this is the guy that Isaiah says was crushed, who was put to death, but he has a throne eternally through all generations. 89.25, his seed I will also make to endure forever in his throne as the days of heaven. Psalm 89.36, his seed shall endure forever in his throne as the sun before me. The seed of Abraham, his servant, Psalm 105, 60. Children of Jacob, his chosen one. They knew he was coming. They knew he was their hope. They knew that there was hope in no one else. And they knew that if they were to have life forever, it was in him. Even back to Job, and you know the verse, so I'm going to translate it a little differently. You know it this way. I know that my Redeemer lives. The construction there actually says something like this in my opinion. I could be wrong. My wife says that I shouldn't say that I was wrong once anymore, so I didn't say that. But the construction there actually could be translated a little bit differently. I know my living Redeemer You see the difference? He is ever living, the Redeemer. And finally, he will arise on the earth. Kum is the word that they use to describe the ascension of a king to his office. I know my living Redeemer, and he will arise in dominion over the earth. The one who is crushed, who is killed, poured out to death, But Isaiah says, living to see his descendants, his people, to prolong his days and to prosper. So yeah, they did know. It was not novel to the New Testament. What was added was the identity and the time. So many other passages we could look at But we rejoice that he has risen today. We rejoice that we are a fulfillment of prophecy given many years ago to many prophets. And we rejoice that there are glories to follow, the stresses and the trials of this life. Y'all are experiencing some of those, right? A few? We rejoice that glory follows those things. We proclaim his death. 
but we proclaim his death until he comes as the resurrected, risen Lord. Revelation 1.18 is Jesus introducing himself. And he says, I am the living one, and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. From beginning to end, the living Redeemer, alive forevermore. And this morning we look forward to his coming for us. I told you we'd end with uh, that proclamation and we will do it again. But at this point we're going to observe the Lord's table and uh, at El Paso Bible Church we do not restrict anybody from partaking of the Lord's table. Anybody who has believed in Jesus Christ, who knows they have eternal life, is welcome to join with us uh, this morning. And we ask that you do so. Uh, we invite you to do so. We want you to do so. Can I make any, any more clear? Okay. It's, a, it's available. And the way that we do it normally is uh, that we'll spend a few moments in prayer before the Lord, and then I will simply ask the men to come forward, and they'll distribute the elements, and we'll partake together. So if you would like, please spend a few moments in prayer, and then I'll call the men forward. Men, if you would come forward.
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you guys stand with us? We want to dismiss with a song. Nice the band to come forward. sin was heavy, the chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan, now you call me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healing, your love is the air that I'm breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open, cause when you Good Sunday, Happy Easter.